Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast. My name is Alex, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. And we're excited to be recording a special discussion episode today about uh, the big bad boy in the Hollywood town, Netflix. Um, specifically, uh, a discussion about the good and the bad of Netflix and, and where they are today and what's going on, because there's news every week about how good and bad Netflix is. Um, so, uh, to, to just get right at, oh, sorry, first things first, we have our guest, <laughs> and uh, the guest this week is um, my very good friend who I've known for f- almost 15 years now, um, who runs uh, the totally awesome website, SlashFilm.com, um, Peter Serretta, welcome on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, it's and been, it's yeah, been a I, long time since I've spoken to you, last time was probably, what, at Sundance? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> And we've only Which spoken is... once in 2010. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Pete, you're you're my you're my favorite person to have on for a in-depth debate discussion because we go back many years in many in uh, in-depth debate discussions on films and on video blogs and on lots of things. We um, had a podcast back in the day called Film Fightcast where we would just argue <laughs> with each other about stuff, stupid. Yes. While going stuff. to screenings, yes, I remember yeah. that. That was a good time. Um, and yeah, we go way back. And, and the other thing that I that I wanted you to bring to this particular discussion is your knowledge in an all-encompassing sense of the entertainment industry. You live in Los Angeles, and you, as a person who runs a site that covers all the news all the time, is familiar with all the news and what's going on and the good and the bad and the discussions and what's happening in the industry as well as with viewers. Um so again, thanks for all coming on for this discussion because um, if, I, if I want to explain, my, my desire for a Netflix discussion has arisen in the last year because Netflix has become so uh, like aggressively annoying in a good and a bad way. Like there, there, at this point this week, there's been this big discussion with um, the idea that uh, even their theatrical release for Roma, I think it was that just opened, or Buster Scruggs that just opened, was so limited that it was like they were trying to step up and say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're, we're actually trying to do a theatrical release, but it was like so limited that Draft House declined to even show it because they have so many demands. And so it's like now they're like, what I wrote on Twitter, I think, was that they were trolling basically the whole industry now. So every week there's something like this that happens, but at the same time, they're also producing and letting filmmakers kind of go wild with money and content and just make whatever they want. And every week, along with this negative news, is some news that some filmmaker or some show or some project is now greenlit and in development at Netflix. And it's crazy and awesome and exciting and potentially good or bad. And I just want to have that discussion on what you think about it. Because it's been a long time for Netflix. They've evolved from the DVD company to this digital giant that is eating Hollywood or making Hollywood eat out of its hand because it can, because the internet it is so crazy. So that's that's my introduction. <laughs> On to Netflix. Okay, so where should we even begin? Because this is like just a, it's such a huge topic, I feel like. I, I have a place to start. Is Netflix actually good or bad for Hollywood? <laughs> Because right, I know that's I know that's a generic question, but I understand why it's a good starting point. Sorry, Mike, continue. Uh, no, it's super generic, but I mean, why not? It's not a generic answer though, and I don't think. Yeah. I I because I, I personally think it's good for Hollywood, in in a lot of ways, and well, yet bad for filmmakers in a different kind of way. 
So it's a very complicated answer, and and I'm mostly first curious if if it's even more simple than I think for you guys. Well, the the never-ending debate is: uh, Are there more places that will distribute and release films to more people? That was always before Netflix came along. That was always the idea that Peter and I had discussions about: Was like, hey, is someone going to buy this film from a festival that we love and actually put support and release it to enough people who can see it in enough theaters? And now Netflix is doing that in mass which has essentially been something we've all been begging for for a long time. I think at least that's some positive they bring to it. Yeah, and, and the, like you said, Alex, they're giving a lot of filmmakers and auteurs you know, money to make projects that probably wouldn't be made elsewhere. That For that reason, I think it's a positive. But on the negative side of things, you know, Netflix is now worth more money than you know a lot of the big studios like you know they they, they're producing more content in a week than some of the big studios Um, hours of you know in hours of content maybe not you know budgetary uh it's uh and as they grow into kind of like this behemoth in they have control their their demands are you know (laughs) <laughs> they they are a very disruptive force in Hollywood and to be disruptive uh Alex I know you're a big fan of disruptive companies like Netflix <laughs> yeah. and um but to be disruptive you got to keep on pushing and eventually that pushing comes in demands that like I feel like might be unfair and you know we all know one company owning everything is a bad a bad thing but uh I, I do think you know it is interesting to have you know someone to give disney a run for their money yeah of course because that's not easy to shake up the movie industry that's the good and the bad with netflix is like they they aren't playing by the old hollywood rules which is kind of what has ruled hollywood for so long and kept the studios where they are and that's why they disrupt things but they disrupt it and as you're saying peter like a like a bad way like sometimes they're like well no we don't want to do this and what i've always wondered is from a filmmaking perspective, I wanted to get a filmmaker on for a discussion sometime about what it's like to make a film for Netflix or make a project for Netflix, because I've wanted to know, like, is it different on set? Is it different for their experience? Is it kind of like, oh, here's the money and like literally hands off back away until it's done? Or, or and does that make a difference to these filmmakers? That's something I've been very curious about. Well, there's it, also it's something. Sorry. So sorry. There's, there's something interesting about the process that Netflix takes, which. You know, I've heard quite a bit from filmmakers um, about the pre-requirements. You know, I mean, for a long time, and I don't know if they still do it, they had camera requirements. You you very specifically had to use a predetermined set of approved cameras. And, uh, and aspect ratios and other super technical requirements that they would have. And it's almost like they had set this up so that either you're in or you're out. You either do it this way and we'll give you the freedom to be as creative as you want. Or you want to do your own thing and you can go find somewhere else to do it. So it's like this give and take that I think at on the surface seems completely open hands, do whatever you want. But I, I, I would be curious to see how many times those requirements, and I'm sure they go well beyond camera equip, equip, and equipment, but how often those requirements actually hindered people's processes because I don't know what the requirements were on the writing side. And that's where I think studios really overreach. Yeah, that, that's what I'm wondering about. Because I, I know we haven't really heard about this a lot in recent years. But I know, like, when they greenlit their first uh, original series, House of Cards, they said 
that, you know, Netflix guards their like analytics very uh, tightly. So mm-hmm. like uh, they're not in the Apple TV's TV app because they don't want Apple to even know, you know, what people are watching and stuff like that. So they know their users so well. They know what kind of shows they watch, what kind of shows, you know, uh, they can get sucked into binging, what kind of actors attract stuff. And when they greenlit House of Cards, they greenlit that because of a variety of data that they had. They knew that people liked shows with Kevin Spacey, They or at least did back then <laughs> they, 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 <laughs> they knew that they liked political dramas they knew they like you know like a bunch of these things and that's why they you know ad, you know chose that for adaptation um from uh yeah so i'm, I'm kind of wondering are they still doing that like how does that still work like when they green light a project are they like you know we know that people like a b and c we need you to include D also in this because people like D. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder how it affects yeah. it creatively. That's one of the great mysteries of Netflix is the fact that we don't know any numbers about anything. And I don't even think that, like, some of the the producers, I don't even think they get numbers. And that's, like, one they thing that— I've, I've talked to filmmakers and producers who have no idea how much their original thing right. has been watched. That's crazy to me. And it's also crazy—I think of it from a sense of the public because, like, how do you know— what impact something has had. Like, of course we have the the old box office measurement, but other than that, there's ways to like measure not just the views of something, but whether it affects people. And of course you can measure it pop culturally, like through social media. But but like it, as a filmmaker, it would be so weird for me to put something out there and just be like, well, I have no idea if anyone watched it or not, you know? And I know you know that anyway when you release something, but to this degree on Netflix is kind of scary. But also like, hey, let's make it and know that there's an audience of 300 million subscribers or whatever it is that, or a billion, I think, that that know that at least there's an audience. Is that enough to to make you feel satisfied? Like if you were a filmmaker, you're just like, well, <laughs> again, but I hope is, people this goes This goes into a discussion you and I have a lot, which usually is you yelling at me um, when we're <laughs> talking <laughs> about... Alex, yell at someone? No. <laughs> And Not and possible. it's it, but th- and this is when like when filmmaker Mike is talking to to you right where it's like where I start getting very self conscious about well, people caring about the stuff I'm making, um, getting the opportunity for for it to be seen at the platforms and all this stuff and this is uh, in many cases where we always kind of end up arguing about Netflix. Actually, we agree for the most part on Netflix, but but it it starts in a place of every filmmaker has a very different reason they got into this right but in one way or another it always sort of wraps around back to i just want people to see what i'm creating right i mean filmmaking is not a medium in which you make something and you watch it yourself at home and you're proud of your work and you don't care that nobody ever sees it filmmaking that we're talking about that this podcast is about is about a medium that's created for the most number of people to see it and talk about it and tradition is always that the best way to gauge whether or not people are talking about it is how much money it made. But it's different now, right? It, it, you can see the conversations happening. You can see them happening live. And the, the quality of a film is not only anymore about how much money it made. It's about whether or not it's, it's actually inciting a serious conversation. And if it's not trying to do that, that's fine. Like we're not really, I'm not talking about movies that just want to entertain but but I think Netflix is at its best when it's uh, it, it's it's releasing movies that 
whole purpose is to create conversation and to get people talking to each other, whether it's around the water cooler or on Twitter or whatever. And that's why they don't share the numbers because they don't want that conversation to be about whether or not X number of people saw it and that therefore it's valuable to their platform. It, it, yeah, it's, I, I that's, respect that's, that to I think, like a degree, but I respect it to like the tiniest degree of like, okay, fine. I respect that. And I want to push the conversation, but like, would Mike, if you had a choice between putting a film on Netflix without knowing any information about it and how it would play versus another like equal distributor of Hulu or something for the same amount of money. And yet they gave you all the data and they promised you the only other difference between Netflix and this other one was they promised you a proper marketing campaign with like posters and publicity and interview tours. Which one would you choose? Would you just say Netflix because it has the audience or would you choose a different one? Well, this is like, (laughs) this is the core. Not to put you on the spot, but no, I, this is the spot. I, I, I happily want to be on. I mean, I mean, I, I want. I, if if Netflix ever came to the door, it'd be a different story, right? But I'm at a phase in my career where I'm knocking on their door, and so at this point in my career, Netflix is a great candidate for whatever opportunity I could get from them. They're the they're the place that whenever oh, that, people that come up to question. us. No, I'm getting to your question, but we. When, when people come up to me and ask me whether this movie that I've been promoting that's going to come out in early, Jan, in, in early 2019 is going to be on Netflix, I get so frustrated. Right? Because this is 75-80% of the time people ask me if the, where the movie is going to be. The question is, will it be on Netflix? Very few people ask if it will be in theaters. Very few people ask if it will be anywhere else. They just want to know, is it going to be on Netflix? And Netflix is like now the Xerox of digital platforms yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so I can't say yes or no to that question because right now I think opportunity is more valuable than data or something right to be able to say that I created something that's on Netflix is val- is, is validation for a young um, unknown filmmaker but for people like the Coen brothers like I'm so I'm just I'm wildly curious about it because I don't think it's just experimentation for for established filmmakers. I think they honestly see the value in putting their content there. And I don't think it's like they had this story, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, that they couldn't get into theaters. Maybe you guys have more background than me, but it doesn't feel like they were like, I can't get this movie made by a studio. Maybe Netflix will do it. And then Netflix says yes. And therefore, they're just happy that their movie got made. They don't care about the data. They don't care how many people saw the movie. I, I'm so I don't understand where the line is drawn for every individual filmmaker on whether or not they care how many people saw their movie or whether or not they just care that it's out there. See, but I, I think the other problem with Netflix is if you release a project for Netflix, so much stuff is being released for Netflix and there isn't enough promotion for those things. So yeah. it, it, it's kind of like that stab in the dark. It, it's kind of uh, I know. Uh, Alex and I used to have these uh, discussions about Sony Pictures Classics. They buy all this stuff that oh, could God. be, you know, award bait, and they don't really put that much promotion into the the films. They hope that they get nominated for awards, and they hope that that will do the selling for them. Um, and they, my, they told, yeah, they explained this to us, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. So basically, they lined that out to me. Uh, and basically, Netflix is. is in kind of like the same, I mean, here in LA, 
it's an industry town and Alex probably remembers from living here, you know, there's billboards all over the place for, for movies and TV and Netflix has taken over a lot of like the advertising. But uh, I think in normal <laughs> towns and stuff, you don't really see Netflix commercials or billboards or stuff like there, there isn't really trailers that play other than like, you know, them being released on YouTube. So it's like, you know, so much stuff gets released in oh, in the on top of that, what makes it even worse is I'm not sure how you guys watch your Netflix, but I watch it on Apple TV's app and I'm not sure if all the apps are if there's if there's better apps. But the a- Apple TV app, when something comes out, they're like there'll be a show that comes out um, that I want to watch, like, you know, the new making a murder or something. And I can't even find it on the front page. I have to go searching for it. And like literally it came out that day. That's the big thing. That's like one of the biggest shows of the year for them. That should be like on the top. I don't understand if they can't, you know, present their content well to the user on their platform. I don't trust them to, you know, advertise well, and they aren't really advertising well. I think that's probably a big problem for a lot of filmmakers. I know like, you know, Alfonso Cuaron, you know, I guess we'll probably talk about him later, but him getting uh, his movie on Netflix, I, a part of the deal was, uh, you know, having that theatrical showing of that movie and also, you know, having a certain amount of ad budget to advertise the movie. So I think that's going to probably be built into it for like a lot of these big filmmakers now. It's going to be, they're going to want the cure on treatment. But I, I couldn't agree with you more that <clears throat> as a, especially as, as a filmmaker, the thing that scares me the most about, and I'm not like an, I, I acknowledge I'm speaking um, as a filmmaker who's not at like the Netflix stage of my career. Maybe I am, and I don't know it, but I'm not have <laughs> anything coming. Hey, you're out. making films. That's um, what matters. Right. So I just don't want anyone to think I'm like conflating my own existence here. Just, I, I just just continue, Mike. We get my it. my preface complete. So I I get really nervous about the idea that Netflix is not is not a marketing platform, right? They're not a distributor by the definition of the term in, in filmmaking, right? You, you, you get associated with a sub company of Paramount Pictures, you're going to have a massive historical, historical, uh, you know, opportunity to market your film. And that's how people are going to find out about it. Something is something that does not make sense to me about Netflix and how, and how they get people to see their content. Because like, the only way that I found out about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs is because I follow film Twitter. Is because I'm engaged in the conversations and I'm curious. Nobody, no, there's no way that when I go see Family in December, 25 of them, that any of them are going to know that a new Coen Brothers movie came out this year. Like maybe do some, do some research and ask, Mike. I, I mean, I, I will, I will. I'm, that, that my point is that. Every single thing that they release gets gets released with such little fanfare that it's infuriating to me because I, I, I can't imagine how frustrating that would be to be proud of your work and know that it's there and then to go yourself on Apple TV um, and not even be able to find it. Like, it's really hard to find things. And the only way that I'm able to keep track is by putting things on my list, right? That's, I, I, you know... I'm sure you do that, Peter. It's like the, if yeah. if you yeah. don't if you don't actually favorite, uh, you know, a, a movie or a show, it just disappears, uh, and and it's so frustrating. I mean, I it took me two years to watch Ozark. I'm finally finishing it, and I can tell you honestly, the reason is not because 
I didn't want to watch it. It's because every time I use Netflix, it wasn't like there for, to remind me. And then I just remembered <laughs> and I put it on my list and suddenly I'm watching it. And like it's my responsibility to, to find see something I like based on one thumbnail and the title and decide from there whether or not I'm going to want to watch it. Oh, oh, and also by watching a trailer that's covered up, a third of the screen's covered up, and it automatically plays, so I missed the first 10 seconds, but that's a different story. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's, it's just, I, I don't understand, I don't get Netflix, I don't understand I was, it, and I think it's a TV medium more than a film medium, but that might be a different... Oh, oh, it, it definitely is, and I, I feel, and I, I feel sad saying this, but as a bil- big film fanatic... I am getting drawn more into the TV side of things. Maybe it's that, you know, big auteurs can now go there and tell a story that's, you know, longer than 90 minutes and can, you know, get into some deep, uh, dramatical and emotional kind of things uh, that can't really be done on the big screen nowadays. Uh, Or maybe it's just that there's, you know, we're in peak TV and there's so much great TV content out there. But like, you know, most TV seasons now are, you know, a 10 hour, 12 hour movie, essentially. And some of them, like, you know, you look at like, uh, even not on streaming, like, you know, Sam Esmell's, uh, Mr. Robot, like it, it's one director doing the entire thing, which is, is pretty cool. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm very excited by what is ha- I'm more excited about what's happening in TV than I am in film. And I know I, I, I can hear Alex steaming in the background here. <laughs> no, no, no. That's, <laughs> I I I was only going to add that one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about the marketing was I thought about it from um Duncan Jones in his film Mute. I think it was last year it was on Netflix. And I thought like um and this can go for TV as well is that if like say as a filmmaker you created something every other film he's made he has the DVD of, he has the poster of but for his for mute, neither of these exist and will never exist. You know, Netflix isn't going to print a DVD. Netflix isn't going to print a poster. Like maybe they were done one off one time. I know the poster he had a, a bunch of them printed, but like I, I was thinking about that. Well, that's not necessarily like true. Much... Like, like Stranger Things released, I think, a DVD. Oh, did they? So, okay. so some some very rare. Very like yeah, you're right. Mute is it's never going to happen for mute. Yeah, and I and I thought about that, like, how much do we cherish that actual physical product? Not just the physical product of it, but like the creation of marketing as a representation of that product of the of the film, and how it's so minimal with Netflix that in like thirty years we're not going to have our Netflix collection on a shelf thinking of all we saw. It's just going to be this like maybe, as Mike said, maybe you can pull it up and find it in the in the endless rows of uh, data in the app, or or maybe not. But it's just there's something that I feel like they're losing by caring so little about the marketing. And the only reason I realize that works, which is, again, related to the TV medium, is how their business model works, right? Like them making money off of you is not by you watching more or less content. It's simply by having you subscribe. So their business model is more based on can we get more subscribers than it is like do you, Mike, or do you, Peter, watch – 30 films in a day, which is the Hollywood business model. Like if you watch 30 films, you pay 30 times and you watch it until they release it on Blu-ray. But like, that's, that's what's fascinating to me about their business models. It works for them in a way where they don't need to care about that you're watching this new show or not, or this new film or not. 
They, but it's they just want you to watch something. Which yeah. I, I don't think I think you're probably putting it in a worse light than it is because it's not that they don't care. They do want you to keep on subscribing and they want to keep on growing that subscriber base. So they want you not only to subscribe, but they want you to talk about, you know, Stranger Things season three or or whatever. Uh, One problem I wanted to bring up about Netflix that I'm finding like is I'm kind of starting to hate this binge uh, (laughs) binge binging TV shows. Like I kind of uh, I remember watching Lost and from week to week having theories and having that water cooler discussion. So I I miss that, too. I know you can probably get that with like Westworld, but most Netflix shows, all the you know, the entire season is put dumped on you know, in one, uh, you know, one, you know, just one Friday at midnight. And, uh, I'm, and I like a lot of these shows. I'll watch, um, you know, a show on Netflix and I'll, we'll, we'll watch, you know, we watched uh, American Vandal, uh, the other week and we watched it, I think in two days. Cause it's like half an hour episodes and it was like eight episodes or whatever. We could have done it in one sitting. Like it's really not that much, but then you feel empty after like, yeah, I have this like feeling of like, you know, I, binge read a novel in one sitting and now like now what like i I don't i don't think that people i think this is where netflix might be smarter than we want them to be because well maybe you know maybe you have a different relationship with the television shows you've had but i don't think that the majority of people want to come want to spend um you know two months on a show and it's not that they're spending two months straight on a show it's that they're spending you know 30 to 60 minutes once a week on the show oh oh, i definitely think people want to consume the content when they want to consume it my my uh just before you you respond i i guess my my uh issue or what i'm feeling that's making me feel empty is that like i watch a season of stranger things and then now i have to watch wait like over a year for it to come back where normally normal traditional TV, like, you know, that's extended out over what, like three or four months. And then you wait like, you know, you know, five, six months for it to come back or, you know, whatever it is. Like it, it just, it, you're now waiting much longer in between things. And it almost like, um, I know you just said you watched Ozark, but we, we just finished Ozark season two. And when that started up, I was like confused. I, I, I didn't remember what, had happened to any of these people because it had been so long since I binged that first season. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I, I guess that's my problem with but it. But that it's happens like... to me with, with House of Cards too. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, that, I, I do think that's, that's the huge loss is that sense of continuity of like, okay, well this show may have, it may have been five, six months, but it's just sort of like because of how drawn out the conversations are and how often you talk about it, becomes more ingrained in you of what's happened and you know you, you could you imagine lost being on netflix show could you imagine like how how useless <laughs> no. that show would have been and some shows really do deserve that weekly recap that weekly sort of thought process uh, you know i think house of cards is a great example of a show that would have been much better suited in value wise uh, on t- on TV because it has that true detective feel uh, where just like sometimes crazy shit happens and you need a week to process it. Meanwhile, Ozark, and I wanted to bring this up on this podcast because I think one thing that Ozark did really well was they it always feels like bad shit's always happening in that show. <laughs> There's never yeah. an episode that's just character development. 
where, like, on television, there's always an episode that is, at some point in the season, that straight up just takes one character and goes back in time and catches you up to where they are and how they got to where they are today and you're like uh, the show's over and you're like oh shit like we made no progress on the plot but now i get to think about that character and all this stuff and and i think ozark was one of the few shows that i've watched on netflix and i've watched many of them because i prefer it for tv than movies um is is where you can binge because it feels continuous just feels like just shit's always happening and there's no lulls even though it's a very slow show and slow burn sometimes but, like, I look back at the movies that Netflix has given us, and, like, I remember very vividly when Beasts of No Nation came out, thinking, whoa, every single thing Netflix says, everything Netflix releases, like, I'm there now. If this is the kind of stuff they're going to produce, I'm in. It was so creative and fresh and felt like a movie that if I saw it in movie theaters, it would have felt just something, it would have felt... It would have felt different from the other ones, and I don't. And I used to think that that was Netflix, and now I realize that's just Carrie Fukunaga. It's not. Yeah. It was never Netflix, and they're just not that good at choosing quality content. They just like content, like Meyerowitz story or or Mudbound. I think are the only two I can think of that I've ever really liked and told other people to watch. Uh, of movies that well, I Netflix do think produced. a lot of these movies that you're talking about are like acquired at festivals and stuff. And I think that's like, oh, they got a good deal. They know a certain amount of people are going to watch this because it has, you know, Brad Pitt in it or, you know, so and so in it. And I think it's all just that. But I don't think we've really seen what Netflix can do from their original movies yet. Like, I know that they've had original movies, but I feel like we have not claim, yet. Peter. Yeah, I, I don't think we've we've seen that yet. I think a lot of the big production, I mean, you know, I think probably the first big one is going to be the Scorsese film. Like, I feel like that is going to be our first look at what Netflix is as like an original producer of films, I think. That's been in the, they, sh they shot that like two or three years ago, didn't they? It's been the the, <laughs> the Irishman I think you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well from, you know, <laughs> like, what frustrates me about this whole thing is Netflix has a golden opportunity to use their power to draw in serious producer talent. The kinds of producers, executive producers, whatever you want to call them, that are what get the big names to create productions for the studios, right? The, the studios have big money and they offer that money sometimes, but more often than not, films are getting made for less than $15 million and they're still involved in the studio somehow. Like, you, you can find a Six Degrees of Paramount Studios, I'm sure. So my question is, you know, A, am I wrong there? But B, is, is Netflix missing an opportunity to pull the great talent, these, these big COOs and CEOs of the major studios and say, come work for us and make us the next Paramount, make us the next Warner Brothers, because without them, it's not going to happen. Like they can't, well, it, it can't, you know, promote an intern and create the next Kathy Kennedy. But have 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 you heard what it's like to work at Netflix? Apparently, at least hearing it from stories from people, it, it's like a horror show. Like it, like they they have this whole um, culture of work there that like you need to prove yourself. Not every you know week but every day but every hour 
And like everybody, I, I know there is afraid of losing their job. They, you know, it's a culture of fear and you got to work yourself hard. Like there was someone that like, you can find this article. I think it was in like business week or something, but there was this uh, lady that was hired there that created, basically created this whole mantra of like that. Uh, if they deem that someone is at Netflix, that is no longer providing a hundred percent value that, uh, you know, they're let go. And it's actually funny because she wrote this whole like long thing that you can actually read. It's like one of the, it's been read by millions of people online, uh, basically explaining how the culture work works at Netflix. She created this and years later was fired because of it, because she was declared that, that she was no longer bringing value to the company. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it, it's, I'm guessing that the big, these big people that you're talking about probably just don't want to work in that kind of culture of, uh, of intense work and fear. Like I'm, I'm not going to paint like all of Hollywood studios like this, but like things work very slowly in Hollywood. And I don't think Netflix is used to that. <laughs> you know I mean, like they, they, they want every, you know, every day there to be like immense progress. Well, that's, that's for that... sure. They, they just, I mean, every day they release five new things. It's crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's always I've always felt like they if they probably would admit it that their strategy is like let's just dump as much stuff into this pile of content and and like the the age old idea of see what sticks throw it on the wall and see what sticks is a, it's just like that's their kind of mantra now is it's just a mass filmmaker and it like every week that's what scares me is like some new filmmaker who is now sucked in and making some cool projects and I'm like great we're gonna get cool content but we're gonna go through the same cycle again of like uh you know marketing's not right something else is bothering us and hopefully the project turns out good anyway because not everything can be but i'm very curious peter what you're saying about how they still haven't really reached their potential for producing original content i mean i i i hope that they have more to offer but like some of the original stuff i've seen has been so careless that I wonder if studio direction would have actually helped it. And I've never would have said that 10 years ago, but now I wonder if it does. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have really no idea of how that side of things has even been working. Um, so I'm, I, I wish I could provide some more examples of that, but like, it really doesn't feel like they had their hands in Duncan Jones mute at all. Like it felt like they're like, we're going to give you the small amount of money to make this passion project that you've wanted to make. And he made the passion project and it's like, oh, that's why no one wanted to make that movie. <laughs> is that what happens though? It's like, is that I don't like know. They, get it, they, they make the whole movie and then they're like, well, wait, this wasn't what we, but, but, but then I also wonder like how does something like Roma get made? You know, how do, how does that get crafted? Is it just down to the film? It's like the whole idea was if you give filmmakers the money and the freedom to do what they want, ideally they should be able to produce the great content, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. And we know that from experience with like a filmmaker who makes some breakout Sundance film and then gets given free reigns and doesn't produce, you know, at a hundred million dollar level, but also that's a different kind of control than I think in Netflix where you like the, at least the, the, the rumor is that you just get this like free Ray and they, they leave you be. Well, I, I think we're seeing from the TV side of things, they're locking down these like big names like Shonda Rhimes and uh, people like that, like into like long-term deals to like just produce, you know, a ton of shows and stuff for them. And I feel like that's what they're 
probably trying to get with like working with these big auteurs. I mean, I don't know anything, but I'm assuming that uh, I haven't seen Roma, but I'm assuming that's not the movie that like Netflix is like, oh, we we want Roma on Netflix. I think what they want is they want to be working with Alfonso Cuaron and they want to prove to him that like, you know, to make his future movies with them. And uh, they're willing to make a movie like Roma, which, yes, might get a word uh, contention. I'm not even sure Netflix cares about that. Um, I mean, obviously, Alfonso does. He's trying to get it shown theatrically so they can, you know, be eligible for those awards. But, uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think Netflix even cares about getting an Oscar? I think they do only to throw it in the face of Hollywood. It'll be like, look, we have an Oscar. (laughs) Not for an actual, like, oh, look what we accomplished, other than... To, to like hold it over Hollywood's head in a further disruption move. But I mean, I don't think they can take total credit for it because it's if once you see Roma, you'll understand it's purely Koran's Oscar to win. Um, and he deserves it. But also like But he wouldn't have made that movie if they didn't, you know, I know, and that's and that's the catch twenty two is like I wanna know it's gonna take years till some of these filmmakers tell us the truth, because right now everything they say is like Netflix is great. They allowed me to make the film I want. It's like, okay, you say that every time you make your film is that whoever the whoever gave you the money allowed you to make the film you want, then why are some films turning out so much worse than others? And what what is is it just the matter of you know natural occurrence? Of course, some are going to be bad and some are going to be good. Or is there more work that they can do? Like, do they even have a production team? You know, all the Hollywood studios have a huge production department that works with everyone hand in hand. Or does Netflix just like have a crew that's like, okay, well here's the, we'll give you the money and then we don't have any production development teams at all. And I, I bet it's also probably rapidly changing, like you're saying, Peter, yeah. about how fast Netflix works. That I, probably I mean, so let fast. me ask you a question now, because I know you don't probably work with Netflix as much as we do because we, we cover TV. But uh, can you name a publicist at Netflix that you work with? Yeah, I mean, I can search my email name. I, 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 I can tell you right now I can't. And I work with them on a weekly basis because the names are changing. Just right, like right. so fast. And I'm not sure if they're like being fired or if like they just have so many publicists that like I can't even remember a name. But I can tell you, you know, the name of the publicists at all of them at Paramount. I can tell you all of them at right, Disney. Okay. I can tell you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I know their faces. I work with them on a regular basis. I I, I don't know. It's it's weird. I'm not I'm not the I, I, I don't mean to paint Netflix in a bad light here, but it's weird that like we don't know them and it. Yeah. yeah, and it's a very weird structure and a very weird... And, I, and again, it's not to say oh, the old Hollywood system is better, but um, it's weird to compare it. My only story, you made me think of this now, that I wanted to relate about dealing with Netflix was there was a time when... Um, I think it was when the first trailer for Maniac came out, and I wanted to get like a 1080p HD download of it because I thought there were some cool shots in the trailer, and I wanted to just screen grab them and use them. And I do this all the time because Apple, you can get the Apple trailers or whatever. And on YouTube, there's a problem like the 1080p is so compressed it looks like crap. So I want like the clean 1080p. And Warner Brothers, every email for the trailer they sent out includes a 1080p copy. Well, so for Netflix, like I couldn't find the 1080p and I emailed them. And I started in this like email chain where it was like it took like three days to hear from them because it bounced around internally. And then finally the guy wrote back and he was like head of – head of marketing materials. 
And he wrote back and he was like, what do you need this 1080p trailer for? And I was like, oh, I want to, you know, I wanted to be honest with him. And I was like, I want to do some screen grabs. There's some really cool shots in this. And it looks, you know, I was like, it looks much clearer 1080p. And like, it literally took a day for him to think about it and reply. And he wrote back and was like, I'm sorry, but uh, we just don't release our trailers 1080p. And I was like, that's such, like, it was like a policy within their company where I'm like, but what, why does, A, why does this policy exist? B, why do they think it's good? And see, like, what, like, what a weird way to handle the situation. Just respond, like, that's it. Goodbye. Thanks for trying to work with us. <laughs> that was my weird Netflix story. Where I'm like, what a weird. And it, I wasn't even asking for anything except for like a minor way to promote your movie, in which every other movie studio provides us with instantly. It's so weird. But you also tried. I'm not sure if I'm speaking out of turn here, but you also tried to visit the set of a movie that was shooting, you know, blocks from where you lived. <laughs> That was a Netflix production. I thought you tried to visit the set of Mute, and I think Duncan Jones even wanted you to visit the set of Mute. Yeah, but I never heard from him, and I don't know why that is. And okay. I I don't want to drag Duncan into it, but it's more of a question of, like, was he just shooting and he just didn't have time? Or was it more of, like, I because I, my, my you know superstitious feeling was, like, oh, I bet Netflix was, like, nah, we don't want to let anyone on set, yeah. you know? Which would be weird, because it almost doesn't matter. But again, I haven't heard of any set visit for a Netflix film. Most yeah. of the time, most of the time, you don't hear about anything until it's like a week from release, and they drop a trailer, and you're like, "Holy crap! I had no idea this film was even being made." <laughs> Maybe that's the, how they want it, though, because you know. But see, that's not that's not gonna work. That's not. I don't, it's a, it, it can't work. Well, look, it, look, it, look at uh, look at Cloverfield uh, Station Paradox. Yeah, Cloverfield Paradox. <laughs> Such a memorable movie that I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, but like you know, they dropped that trailer and had it online the same night. And uh, you know that movie was a stinker, and that's the reason why they got it is because you know Paramount was trying to get rid of the stink. Uh, but uh, I guarantee you. You know, millions of people signed up for Netflix to do that. That was a great stunt for them. And that, yeah. but that's what I'm saying. If if their business model just it won't sustain on stunts, and they need, uh, they're doing well, right? By in terms of recognition and brand recognition. But like, I'm I'm not a I'm not going to get into all this. But I mean, their stocks are falling. Okay, every day that I look at oh, at, at that, Mike, I see. I'm certainly not a stockbroker. Um, but I, I've, I've just somehow come across this that, you know, like every once in a while I know I look, I see it somewhere and it's always talking about how it's dropping. And then that's going to drive a lot of their decisions. And I don't want to keep an eye on it. I don't care. But I, I, I am not going to be surprised if bottom line is what drives every decision that they make, even if they claim that's not what drives it. And they might not share these things and they might care about creativity but like everything's kind of bottoming out now we saw hollywood try and uh well we saw we saw hollywood and television you know studio television try and catch up with netflix by putting a little more emphasis on their digital apps streaming content this and that and we saw disney create or creating right their own netflix so to speak we're seeing people kind of trying to dabble in this idea of whatever Netflix is, but doing it in a way that suits them. Where's Netflix going to go from here? It's like the Apple conundrum of, okay, you made your kick-ass watch and you made your phone and your computer. Like, what's next? What are you going to do that's new and different that's going to keep people thinking you're innovating? 
Or are you just going to keep doing what you're doing and hope that you're the first place people go? And I do think that that's going to last for a little while longer. But like they're trying to they're they're desperately trying to find the next big hit TV show, um, like news show. Right. They keep putting these people out there and they last one or two years um, doing their news weekly news talk and nobody wants to go to Netflix on Sunday night to watch something that's been up since midnight, you know, the Saturday evening. I don't know how to explain midnight, but it's like, it's, they got to find a new way of doing things. And if they really want like, okay, something comes out on Sunday, that means it comes out at 12.01 Sunday morning. That, that can be their way of doing it, and maybe it's working for them, but I don't think it lasts, and they need to find a way to be more live. They need to find yeah. a new avenue like, okay, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m., this show's going to be on, and it's only going to be on from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. It's live streaming. They would, they would, that goes against that. what people want. Yeah. People want to watch it whenever they want to watch it. I do agree with you that this news thing isn't working, and that's them trying to copy traditional TV. I think the future of Netflix is them pushing things like you were saying you don't know what that is they've announced that they are trying to get into interactive storytelling that uh they're going to be doing like choose your own adventure kind of like uh shows we already know a black mirror episode is going to have that kind of functionality where you're gonna uh during the episode choose you know decisions that the character makes alex is super excited about this Ah. I don't like choose your own, but continue. I don't know. Right. I, I'm I'm very interested in it. Like I um, see. I I don't know. It, it probably won't end up being good, but uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. But it's something it's something you can't do on traditional TV, and it is pushing you know the boundary of what's possible. I just kind I of always... think I kind of think, uh, and I'll be short, so Alex, you can continue. But I <laughs> I I just think that. Uh, there's something missing and maybe it's the more interactive thing because people don't have to buy a special TV. They just need to buy a little extra device, but it's, I'm curious where they land now on the binging of old shows because, you know, for me, and I think for many people, new content is cool and fun, but like you said, with, um, you know, with certain shows, once you're done, you're done. You're not going to binge watch the same show over and over again, but you might watch The Office episode, you know, six, season three, 50 times in a matter of a month. It's just the way it is. I mean, it's like I will default to The Office every time. And and that's just my that's just the way it is here. And I wonder how many other people do that. But, you know, I mean, is this is this part of the future of Netflix is trying to grab more famous TV shows and bin and giving people the chance to binge them or well, here's have they actually, used that up? Here's actually one of the problems. That is one of the problems that Netflix is about to face because shows like the office, they don't own they're licensing those. And when those deals come up, they're probably going to be up. So like the most watched thing on Netflix, I think I believe it was the office because you have how many seasons of that? A lot of seasons, right? And uh, I think the biggest Netflix show is like, what, House of Cards, five seasons, something like that. So they don't have shows that are, you know, that someone can keep eyes on it for, you know, a long time as the people go binge binging through it. And when their deals come up with these licensed content and, uh, you know, those companies are making their own streaming service and they're going to want to, you know, have something for their streaming service, that's 
when Netflix, is, that's what uh, actually Wall Street, that's one of the things that Wall Street's worried about with the stock uh, is that, uh, you know, they, as much as they have original content, it's all new. Do you know what I mean? Like it's all shows that have like one, two, three, four seasons. So like there isn't that big banked up of content. Interesting. I was only going to, I was going to comment only on, um, uh, Mikey, you're asking about the future and what they're going to do next. I always thought that Netflix was obsessed with data more than anything and trying to, trying to figure out patterns. Like they always had that contest for years. It was like when I think it was like a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. If you could write the algorithm to like give you the perfect ratings for you or review, like recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. And they like someone in years though, I think that's over. Yeah. Right, because someone kind of won it, but then I remember reading about it where like they didn't want to give them money or something. <laughs> but anyway, my point was that I always thought that Netflix ideal version of what they would love to be would be a content machine that has so much content that what it does is know what you will want to watch and what you will enjoy watching at any time of the day. Like it will it will know your mood and your feelings so well that it'll be like, oh, Peter, you just arrived home from work today. You're sitting on the couch. I'll put, you know, this episode of this uh, show on like like I feel like that's what they would love to get to in a you know, fully automated digital data world. But also. Yeah, but, yeah, but they changed it to like a five star rating. I mean, from a five star rating to a, like a thumbs up, thumbs down. So something I gave, you know. If I say I love Stranger Things and I gave that a thumbs up, but I also, you know, just thought Ozark was okay, but I enjoyed it and gave it a thumbs up. It thinks that I liked Stranger Things just as much as I liked Ozark. Do you know what I mean? So I yeah, feel like that's I, they are really bad at uh, their whole. Well, that's the funny thing. To they, they want to do that, but they're a failure at it. <laughs> they're yes. horrible at it. They just like uh, the it, the fact that I like you know. Or that I I watch them because I don't rate. Maybe that's my problem. But I, you know, I watch. <laughs> I watch things, and they clearly know what I've watched. And they say, "Well, since you watched this, you'll probably like this." And what the fuck are you talking about? That has nothing to do with what I watched. And this is I don't get it. And part of it, I'm well, you know, maybe it's just because they are really excited about these algorithms and about these ideas of predicting what you want to watch so that you stick with it. But at the same time. I don't know that they have enough content to support that kind of idea, at least not yet. Maybe that's why they want to put all this out, and they want to have 50 Christmas movies, so if you watch one, they'll never run out of Christmas movies to promote you to watch. But what about people who want to watch genres beyond crime thrillers, uh, stand-up comedy, and Christmas movies? Like those are, <laughs> I feel like those are the three things they keep yeah. making. And I, I know there are good, like, film people in it. I was just thinking that how at Sundance every year we always see um, Reed Hastings. He's the CEO, right? Or was. Yeah. We see him in the audience at the film. So I know, like, I, I that makes me think, okay, he's enough of a film nerd and a film fan to be at Sundance seeing the premieres. Not just from, like, a, oh, I want to buy this perspective, but from, like, you know, an appreciator. So, I, like, I at least know that he's in there knowing loving film enough to want to craft and and develop more and not just like be careless with the content they're creating but i wonder more like by the way i I don't think they're being careless with the content they're creating i think careless just 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 mass producing where they're like uh, like there's care in a way where the studios are proud of everything they put out but netflix is just like let's just amass as much as we can are they though are the studios really i i mean (laughs) 
They, that's their that's their idea. They should be. I I think they would like to believe that. Warner Brothers, I know, is very like proud of their quality of their content. But this is the question that I always come back to: is how many how many sub production companies does Warner Brothers own? Right? How many <laughs> yeah, small know, production yeah. companies that churn out the stuff that Warner Brothers is not very interested in, but just wants to have a little taste? You know, wants to have whatever that gets. Maybe people will like it, so let's not let somebody else take it. But I don't want to deal with it, so we'll give it to the, the, the small production company that we've created or bought that focuses on that kind of content. I, and I, 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 always, I always get really curious about the line that I think is much thicker than people realize between studio and independent. And that is an important conversation to have when you're talking about Netflix because the difference between a Netflix-produced show or, or movie versus an independently produced movie or show that was bought by Netflix is very different. And I and it, I, I do, you know, you hear the $5 million purchase by Netflix at Sundance, and when it comes out on Netflix, they say it's a Netflix original, and it's not. It's, it's, it's an original purchase and, and you would by Netflix. Be, you would actually be shocked at what is a Netflix original and wasn't produced by Netflix. Yeah. I will, I'm about to blow your mind. <laughs> oh God, here we go. House of Cards was not produced by Netflix. It was produced by MPC and then bought by Netflix and distributed by Netflix. So the reason why a show like House of Cards, every episode is a certain length is because uh, in other territories that Netflix does not own, MPC can license out House of Cards to actually show with commercials on TV. But then there are shows that are actually produced by Netflix, like DOA. And that's why that that show can do interesting things. Like there's some episodes of the OA that are 25 minutes long or something. And there's some that are like an hour and 45 minutes long. They can, they can do whatever they want and they don't have to have build those commercial breaks in it because it's never going to air anywhere other than Netflix. Peter, I thought you were going to say you were shocked because I'm shocked by the amount of people who think everything is made by Netflix. Like oh, it, yeah. If that's it, if it, if it, like so many people I know who are like, oh, Netflix made this, Netflix made that. I'm like, everything they mention is stuff they bought at a festival, which was made clearly without Netflix's involvement in any way, shape or form until it was finished and premiered at a festival. And then they bought it. But everyone, because they slap their logo on it and everyone instantly believes like, oh, Netflix made this, which I think is it's 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 less of a, it's an inside baseball discussion because like actually the people outside don't really care. That's a discussion amongst us that it matters, yeah. you know, but like. The other people are just like, oh, well, as you always said, Mike, people come to you and ask you, when can it be on Netflix? That's the thing that's that's the only thing that's on their mind is like, oh, is it available on Netflix? And it's now a Netflix movie, even though it may me never have been. fucking crazy, man. <laughs> I don't, it's, but, look, but, Netflix but it's is confusing. not. Go ahead. It's also confusing because if you like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a show that's a good example of this, but like a lot of shows that you watch on like, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm having trouble coming up with the example, but what? a lot of shows are produced by like Warner brothers and then air on Fox. Right. Do you know right. what I mean? So even the shows that you think are Fox shows might not even be a show produced by Fox. So and a lot it, of studios it's, it's, borrow lots and, and, you know, materials yeah. from others too. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a collaborative world in Hollywood more than you'd think. And Netflix is out here just trying to be the kid in the corner who gets the hot chick, you know, it's like, they, they, they just, they, I don't know what, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to, they spike the punch and then wait for everyone else to 
wither and die, and then they take over the party. I, I don't know what the best analogy is for them. But it, it, it's, it's interesting to me the perception that I've seen both as a viewer of Netflix and as a, a small you know, producer of, of a movie that's going to get a digital release. Like People just start with Netflix. And they assume oh. that that's quality. That means that you made it if you're on Netflix. And I'm like, no, not really. I mean, the, that's not the gauge for success to me and probably not to many people um, who create content. So w- when did that shift? I, I, don't, I, I guess it's just the zeitgeist at work, but uh, I don't know how we'll break that cycle. Hulu is not going to take, take over that mantle iTunes is not considered um, a platform to prove you're successful. Uh, it seems like Netflix is, for the general public, proof that your film made it. Because now I can watch it whenever I want. Besides, I'm not I'm, obviously I'm talking digital. I'm not talking about theatrical yeah. release. If you theatrical release is the ultimate, you know, your film is an official movie. Yeah. It, it's real. Not to sidetrack things, but I, I finally thought up of a, an example of the TV thing. <laughs> and Breaking Bad, which airs on AMC, is actually produced by Sony. And it doesn't oh. air on any of the Sony-owned television networks. But in most of the general public, I think, would assume that Breaking Bad is an AMC-produced show. So, yeah. uh, so that happens everywhere. It's not just Netflix. Well, yeah. I want to add, you know... Um, when it comes to television, I do think that you know Netflix is starting to hit a little bit of a stride, um, like with um, uh, shoot, what's the term? Um, I think they're kind of hitting their stride now with television episodic series that have different directors, different feels. You know, they're not shows. Dogs that they just released, I feel like is going to be a big hit for them because of what it's about. But like, I watched it and. I'll be cur- I'm very curious where it goes from there because it's a it's an international production. It's an international um, it's not it's not just like an American dog's story. It's this most of them are in another language, which I think is an interesting choice to go for in a you know in this new area of we're gonna have multiple filmmakers creating different content and there's one super producer who said, I want to make a show about dogs because of an incident that I experienced with my dog and I want to tell this story. Let's get the best filmmakers, let them all create some things and then put each one out there as an individual episode rather than a movie. That to me is the future of Netflix. That's what they should be doing more of instead of trying to get the next Friends or the next, you know, Breaking Bad. This This makes me want to ask something that I want because I want to spin some positivity towards Netflix <laughs> because as, as bad as they are and as terrible as they are, as we've talked, I also want to say, like, I'm actually very For the happy record. With... I don't think they're terrible. I love it. Right, no, I know. I know that's that's the, that's why I wanted to have this discussion. It was like we could talk about all the problems they have. But then we're like, you know what? I love Netflix. I love yeah. having after Netflix. this love... podcast. I'm going to go watch the last episode of Ozark. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. So one thing I wanted to spin positive now on is is what are what are any of the shows or movies you've watched on Netflix from Netflix that you've really enjoyed? Like, what's the best stuff you've seen recently? You know, bonus points if it's a Netflix original production. Otherwise, just like, you know, like one of my favorite documentaries this year is Sharkers, which was a Sundance premiere, but they they picked it up and Netflix released it as 
you know, the, the, the proper distributor for them, which is always hard for a documentary, but Shirkers is awesome. I love Shirkers and I'm, I can't say I'm happy that Netflix is releasing it. I'm happy someone is releasing it, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, so what, what is the best Netflix you guys stuff you've seen recently? Yeah. I can't think of movies. I can tell you TV shows. <laughs> so, I mean, like stranger things I'm a big fan of. I like, uh, uh, daredevil, uh, narcos, is a great show um black mirror i mean i guess that's another one that's like kind of you know not really produced by them uh glow is a fantastic show uh what else uh i've been watching oh the show love which is i think completed at this point is also fantastic so I, I, those are some of the things that i've enjoyed on ozarks i yeah i also like yeah to add one um to that list master of none is a great one that yeah, was the yeah, yeah. Aziz Ansari's um, show. I, I, there are a few movies, though, I, 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 I have to admit that I've liked recently, and I don't know if I would have watched them had I not been traveling as much as I have been recently and just, you know, doing the download thing. But 22 July was, like, was pretty good. I mean, Paul... Uh, that was, no, it wasn't. It was terrible. Sorry. <laughs> okay, sure. But Paul Greengrass, I like. And, I and I mean, the movie itself, had it come out in theaters, I wouldn't have liked it. I wouldn't have seen it. I, I know I wouldn't have gone to a movie theater to watch that. Um, but to be able to watch it in the comfort of my iPad in my controlled environment is perfect for that kind of a movie. And, like, you know, there are other ones that I would have liked to have seen in theaters that I really liked, though. Outlaw King, I think, was good. I liked Outlaw King. And I would have liked to have seen it in a theater. But I'm always brought back, whenever I like something on Netflix, I can't tell if I liked it or I just liked being you know, cuddled up with my dogs and my wife and not <laughs> having to leave the house and just, being, gotcha. just relaxing. Like, I, I, there is a serious psychological element to being able to do that that makes everything you watch a little bit better than it probably is. Yeah, they, they know it now. They know that that's like, they, we, get, we got the world now. <laughs> the Netflix and chill is like a thing, you know. Um, yeah. The other one I want to mention that not many people watch is an animated film called Next Gen, which is about this like girl and her robot, and it was awesome. It's like the be- one of the best animated films I saw this year, and it's a little Netflix. I think it's one of those like it was made by an animation studio, but Netflix uh, bought the distribution rights to it. Um, uh, it you know, there's also um, something else. Big Mouth is a show that they came out with recently that I, uh, I, I listened to um, – Nick Kroll on a podcast and he was talking about it and you know it did create some context I think is important to share you know that this show simply wouldn't exist without Netflix it it, it doesn't exist unless there's um, you know a place for it where they can be as crude as ridiculous and as as just like graphic as they are the show is an animated film about kids going through puberty with the like male and female um um, hormones represented as giant monster characters as well um, who tap in from time to time and it's hilarious it's so funny and it is the most disgusting and crude show I've ever seen period and I, I, I it wouldn't exist it, it, it you know it takes where South Park went or Family Guy sometimes goes it goes ten times further and just wouldn't exist anywhere else maybe Hulu maybe some other small you know, digital platform, but it, it's just, 
he admits that it wouldn't exist without Netflix, and it goes back to what you were saying, though, Alex, about how they always, you know, wax poetic about Netflix when they're pitching a Netflix show. But yeah. I, I, I kind of believed him, and I, I feel like that's true, that there is certain content that wouldn't exist. That's one of them, and I, I would recommend it to people who like that sort of, like, comic humor that's very mature. And, and you know, BoJack Horseman's another example just like that. Yeah, they got Bojack. This, this to me, the whole the whole Netflix thing distills down to. I remember, I think it was Ryan Johnson, like four or five years ago. He did this big thing online where he talked about. I think it was with his blog and his Twitter as well, where he talked about how he was happy that we're now at a point in the digital age where we can just produce and consume all, all content. And it was this, like, I think it was an essay where it was he was basically saying like like give me all the content like instead of being limited which is what we were for so many years with technology like you had to go to the video store and buy it he's now just thinking like i want all of it there's nothing like let's just keep creating 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 more of it and i've started to wonder ever since then like is that really actually a good thing like is the idea of netflix just saying let's just keep creating as much content and giving as much money to to every filmmaker and every realm and every genre and every tv show and and just keep creating 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 is it really good or is there, are we going to reach a point where there's too much of it and is that even possible well and I, <laughs> and, I, and that was ryan's conclusion he's like that's not possible so let's just keep creating but I think we're I think we're reaching a point now with Netflix and the frustrations we're experiencing with it are coming from this idea that there's just so much that they just can't individually care about every film and make a, a marketing campaign for every film because they just that's just too much of it to dedicate to that one tiny piece of their bigger picture. I'm all for for them making as much content as they want and possibly you know physically can. The two downsides to that are it becomes frustrating for the consumer to find what's good and what they're going to like. And right now, I don't think Netflix is doing, doing a good job of putting that stuff forefront in their app. And uh, number two, oh, my God, I just blanked out. Um, Should we come back to it? Yeah, come back to me. <laughs> well, I, look, you know, I, I, wanna, I might contradict some of the things I've said earlier, but – you know, Uh-oh. my the only I'll, I have only one other negative comment before I want to want to say some positive things as well. You know, I, I think the one thing I really miss with um, movies that come out on Netflix, and now that we're seeing seriously big name filmmakers making content for Netflix, I'm going to start missing it even more. It's behind the scenes content, and mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing a movie comes out in theaters. I love watching it; it's great. You know, um, but when it comes out on home video. I like to own a copy because I like to add it to the shelf. I like a physical copy. But the first thing I do, whether it's iTunes purchase or did or physical, the first thing I do is not watch the movie. In fact, sometimes I don't even watch the movie again. I just like to have it. I go to the special features. I like to watch the bonus stuff. And, and they're not doing that on Netflix. And there's no excuse for that. Like there's I, absolutely I, I, I no think- reason. I, I think you're right, but I do think that's changing. If you've noticed the Netflix interface, especially if you go to like the Stranger Things, they've started adding like the like there's a section that's like uh, I, don't, talk, I forget what they, they talk call. yeah like talking Stranger Talk or something. No, I'm not even talking about that. That was like their first step in, but like there's a section if you actually go to like the actual Stranger Things because that's like listed as its own thing in the Netflix interface. If you go to Stranger Things, like there's like trailers and featurettes or something like that, and they've started loading like behind the scenes stuff in there, which makes me think that they're going to start doing that for more productions. I could be totally wrong, but to me it makes perfect sense because. All Netflix wants you to do is keep on watching. 
Do you know I mean? Mm. Like they, they yeah. want to own your eyeballs. So if you like <laughs> this thing uh, and they made a behind the scenes documentary that cost them what, like $50,000 to pay someone to make it. Um, that's going to keep your eyeballs on the screen even longer for like much less than it costs them to keep your eyeballs on the screen for, you know, even five minutes of an episode. So yeah, and uh, it's a, it, that's an actual profit market for them, where it's probably not much of one for studios, and that's why they stopped making them. You know, I mean, David Fincher's like the only one left who's really forcing them into his his Blu-rays, and he makes a movie every two three years. So I I I don't know if it's I don't and I don't really know that it's a filmmaker thing. It's a studio thing, and they just stopped doing it. They didn't they they didn't think it was interesting to people, and I think Netflix can revitalize it. In a way that I learned more watching behind-the-scenes content than I did in film school, and that's a fact. And they can usher in a huge new culture of, of kids making movies. I'm, I mean, I know I'm going a little crazy here, but it, it's true. They, they can create a place that's only going to cost six bucks a month or whatever, and people can learn how movies are made and make more movies and then become, you know, machine, cogs in their machine. And they can make more money later. I, I my, my, um, well, my <laughs> wife's home. Um, I, I, so it's not as much a negative. I guess it, we turned it into a positive. But you know, I, I, I hope that they find more ways to do that. And I'm not just talking behind like trailers and featurettes, but actual like you know, 30, 40, 60 minute documentary pieces about how the movie was made. That would be. Oh, really and if you valuable. see uh, that new Orson Welles do- uh, movie. That was uh, produced by Netflix and Frank Marshall. They actually have like a behind-the-scenes uh, documentary for that as well on Netflix. So. That was made by that was made by itself. Uh, is it a movie or is it a documentary about the movie that didn't get made? It's well, both. both. Uh, okay. There was a, but I think the guy who made the documentary was making it on his own separately. Okay. It wasn't uh, like directly made by Netflix to to you know complement the film. I think it was something that was in the works already. Because there's a whole, there's another Orson Welles documentary this year too. So it's like coinciding with the release of his new film. They, you know, some people want to make other stuff. I think, I think what it, what, what, what the the conclusion I come to with Netflix is, for as much as I love what they do and appreciate their disruption, my frustration lies in the fact that I want them to just be a little bit better at certain things. I want them to be like to actually care a little bit about marketing, to put a little bit of like I know you don't need to do to borrow all the old ideas from old Hollywood, but like put a little bit more effort in the design of your app, you know, put a little bit like you have the money and obviously the capability to do that. Why can't you put a little if you're gonna be the dominant mass media that we're all gonna consume now, why is that so much to ask for? I, I build think they, a little bit of a better product. They really know? need to to revitalize their the way that people can find things, and especially the way that we can watch trailers. Like it, I'm yeah. so sick and tired of having to watch trailers the way I have to watch them on that show. And then a lot of them aren't even trailers; they're just like a, a random mo- moment in the movie. It's yeah. you know put put a little more effort in. I know I know that's asking a lot of an organization that's putting out 20, 40, 50 movies a month or whatever. But that th- no, but there are not, things they could the do. That's what I'm saying. Like they should. I wish they would care a little bit more. Yeah. So I do want to just kind of make sure that before we close out, that you know, I, I do say that I, I really, I, I love Netflix. I, I as a viewer, I, I don't know where I would be without it. I mean, I I love the movies I own and I love the movies I've seen, and I could watch them over and over again like I used to before Netflix. But 
um, it, it just it is very life changing. It's an actual, um, you know, behavior shifting. Um, it's it's a behavior shifter. It, it's changed the way we all operate at home and watch content. And I love that. And I like that it's both old and new. And I like that they're creating new content over and over again. More importantly, um, you know, you asked earlier if I would say yes to Netflix, you know, or whatever. Fucking of course I would. And, you know, it's not, it's I was never. Saying, I was saying over another one that provided more data. That was but, like... I mean, it, you know, competition, I, I, who could say, you know, if, if Hulu was like, you could do it with us this way or, you, or you know, uh, Netflix, you can do it with us this way. I mean, I look at Bing Lu's Minding the Gap as a great example of a film that really took off because A, it was great, but B, Hulu saw greatness in that film and they really put the effort in. And uh, I, I have yet to see Netflix do that. You know, I feel like the most I've ever seen Netflix promote a movie so far has been Outlaw King, and that's only because I think I was just in the right place at the right time to see them promoting it. But that might be a sign of things to come, and I think if they see good movies, not to say Outlaw King is uh, as good comparatively in its genre as Minding the Gap is, but I, I just I, I, maybe it's because they haven't yet found that movie they think is the next is the crowning achievement of what they've been doing, and Roma could be it. I mean, I've seen the reviews; everybody loves it. Are they going to promote it as uh, as much as the quality of it seems to deserve? That's a question that we need to see answered. See, I yeah. think if something's good, people are going to find their way to it. People are going to be talking about it. I, I, I guess, and it's, it's to my point of my second point that I didn't get to earlier because I blanked out, and that is that we'll probably always find the good content, but we're not going to be watching it and experiencing it at the same time like we used to in, in the multiplex, and that's kind of sad. But yeah. yeah, that's a that's a fair point actually. I yeah yeah I just and I it, would like to see them. Um, continue to give all kinds of filmmakers opportunities. You know, it's nice that they're giving uh, the big names, um, you know, Scorsese, Coron, all these guys. I'm, I'm so happy that they're diving in because it only legitimizes the platform as a place for filmmakers to go to be part of. But I'd like to see them continue to give new filmmakers chances as well and not just give Adam Sandler a nine-picture deal to do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> Hey, yeah. that's your fault. You keep on watching the movies and the stand-up specials. <laughs> the stand-up special was fantastic, by the way. That was actually good. Of course, the movies were not. Netflix sees the numbers. They know what you're watching. It's all your fault. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, well, is there anything, Peter, you want to wrap up and, and mention on conc current conclusion for Netflix before the debate continues forever? No, uh, I do think it's going to be interesting when Disney streaming service Disney Plus comes out because that's going to be the first uh, big contender to the throne. Like, you know, they're having Marvel television shows actually starring people from the movies and they're having a lot the first live action Star Wars TV series like there's just they're making movies. There's so much great content that's in development there. Uh, and, you know, Disney has the franchises that we all love so it's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up and also they've already talked about their interface is going to be much different than netflix instead of like just a grid of shows like each franchise like if you go to the marvel section or the star wars section it's going to be 
like completely different than each of the sections. They're going to be almost like, uh, you know, themed lands within a bigger uh, theme park entity, much like Mouse House already does. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm in, I'm in, and it's going to be cheaper than Netflix. So it's going to be crazy. So I'm going to add one final prediction before we, we sign off to of what might happen next for Netflix that hasn't happened yet. He's creating a letterboxed style, um, maybe more than that, um, community platform. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. Um, I know it's scary, probably, and people will use it and abuse it, but um, why not give people a way of watching the movie at the same time and chatting with each other during it? Uh, they've always tried this in Hollywood and it never works. But, but that's because there's <laughs> yeah. never been a place where people watch movies on their computers, right? Where their keyboards are accessible yeah, to Yeah, but them. they tried – Disney tried this second screen thing I think it was called where like you while you're watching their Blu-ray, like you use your iPad and you communicate with But that's with the problem, people, dude. I don't think it... Nobody wants to put a Blu-ray in, then yeah, turn their iPad on, yeah, and then connect them via Bluetooth or whatever magic. They just – if you're on your computer and you're watching Netflix, why not have just a little sidebar like every single other video st- service has to, to type and talk and you can you can connect with friends on Netflix. I mean, we all know people who use Netflix. Why not have a way for me to start watching The Office, for example, and it informed like PlayStation or Xbox might inform my friends that I'm watching that show and that they can join me. And I can be in control of when it's being played and when it and whatever. I'm the I'm the you know I'm the host. Like that's why not? I feel like they have the means to do it, and I'd love to see that. That's what I'm getting at. I'd like to see it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's next. Well, I'll call Reed after this podcast, and we'll have a chat and see if we can get that implemented. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright. Okay. Well, um, thank. I mean, I'm glad we could have this chat. I, as I expected, there is no end point to it, and not only because there's no right or wrong answer or anything like that but also just because it's a continually evolving thing as the world goes on and as netflix continues to change and as hollywood changes so um anyway thank you guys for for joining me thank you peter for coming on the show i'm i'm really glad we could finally have you on for an episode um and a discussion uh yeah i'm yeah. glad it could be on and uh if anybody out there likes listening to podcasts because you're listening to, the, to this podcast <laughs> I, I i host a daily podcast on slash home.com called slash home daily you can find it on itunes or you know whatever you're using to listen to this uh or you can find it at daily.slashhome.com and we cut co- we basically have like a half an hour discussion show every day talking about that day's uh movie and tv news so check it out awesome and you, you're also on twitter at slash film too right That's yes at cool. slash home on all social media cool um and Mike, we usually find you as usual in the normal places, hiding with your dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can follow me at Eisentower30 on Twitter. Uh, keep up with my my upcoming documentary at Two Errors Human Doc on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess follow my dogs on Instagram too while you're at it. <laughs> Nolan and Norman. <laughs> <laughs> Only my favorite Instagram account. Oh yeah. <laughs> I well, try. As, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, Alex and Mike, thanks, thanks for having me on. I, I, I this was a fun discussion. Yes, thanks, Peter. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Peter. <laughs>